Hey, what is up, designers, and welcome back to the Grand Design Podcast. Uh, in this episode, we talk about the difference between someone who's just a pure entrepreneur or marketer versus someone who's a designer. And um, along those same lines, we talk about the difference between someone who's operating or creating a small business versus someone who's operating or creating uh what people traditionally refer to as a startup something that has a possibility to be of large magnitude and have a monopoly over its market and be a unicorn in its own right so uh without further ado uh we're going to get into this episode and talk about it i appreciate you listening um enjoy how do people like us the visionaries the creatives real people with real ideas people who don't have mass budgets platforms or teams and people who live in this noisy world dominated by internet gurus, influencers, and big brands. The people attempting to make a dream on our own dollar. How do we get our ideas to pierce through all the noise in not only a massive, but a massively profitable way? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dallas, and this is Grand Design, the podcast about taking the ideas in your head, pushing them out into the world, and forming mass Hey, what is up, designers? And welcome back to the Grand Design Podcast. In this episode, I want to explain, uh, as it's just been clarified for me, thanks to a YouTube video um, by Slide Bean Startups One Hundred One. This YouTube channel, Slide Bean Colon Startups One Hundred One. Um, the difference between a small business and a startup, even though the terms are interchangeable. Okay. And I wanted to talk about this for a specific reason because it, it, it goes in tangent with all the messages I've been trying to put out and describe. It clarifies everything I've been saying over this last few months of podcasting. Okay, the difference between somebody who's an entrepreneur uh, and someone who's a designer. The difference between someone that's just a marketer or a designer, okay? Um, so, you know, I guess... The story starts for me, or the explanation rather starts for me with what I thought, you know, before, you know, my realizations that were documented throughout this podcast, the last few months of podcast, before I understood the difference, okay? In my mind, it, is, it was true at a particular point in time that any business, you know, as long as people went, you know, well, the owners of the business, the CEO, the, you know, CMO, the marketing executives and all that, you know, as long as that business, you know, continued to push hard and, um, you know, double down on the marketing efforts and uh, continue to make money and put more money into the business and reinvest in the business that any business could grow and become uh, a business of high magnitude, can become a billion dollar venture or can become the top of its industry, you know. It was my opinion or thought, like even if you translate the idea into to an idea about people, that anybody within a marketing industry can become the marketing guy and replace Russell Brunson. That anybody that was in the coaching industry, if this is the industry, could become Tony Robbins and replace Tony Robbins. Um, and if we want to switch the dial back to business, you know, the idea is that any business could, if they get enough sales and enough support, um, and keep reinvesting in themselves and they get better and better and better if they have the best marketing in the world, you know, could over, you know, a film company or whatever could overtake Netflix through those means or through those methods. 
or that you know a technology company around cell phones and computers could overtake Apple like Samsung I thought if it just poured marketing you know poured every cent into its marketing got the best marketers in the world and the best message in the world they could overtake you know uh, Apple and um, I remember thinking that and trying to build businesses in that way for a while focus purely on sales and revenue and those types of metrics and, and focus on how good can we make the marketing you know, and how much good or better can we make the products and just sell, 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 and get it better and better and better. And throughout time, you know, that, that, you know, just trying to make, you know, just, just projecting that the companies that I had in my mind will become the kings of their category or possess the most market share through those means is something that I thought. And I remember over and over again, uh, starting at the very first step, you know, actually getting the business into a marketplace. Okay, and so I would take a business like, let's say, a ghostwriting business, because I would just, you know, like like marketers always say, you know, you want to model what works. And I would take so I take a business like maybe a freelance writing business, a ghostwriting business, uh, a beat making business. And I would just take the very first step. I would try to get it into the marketplace. I would go to Instagram or Facebook and run ads. You know, I would set up webinars for, you know, I would I would do the whole, you know, I would set up the entire, you know, business essentially from traffic to the landing page to retargeting, you know, and I was setting up, set up the whole value ladder and everything like that. And I remember always running ads to these businesses or trying to spread the word about these businesses or try to promote these businesses. And every single time it was like just introducing just one of the, you know, I was falling, falling into the just another, you know, feeling. You know, when you're just another business, like you're just another grocery store, you're just another ghostwriter. I mean, I would, you know, put the idea that I had out into these markets and the idea would just get lost in the market. You know, the idea would just get outcompeted. It was just so much noise that the idea was just never getting any traction. And I've thought for the longest time and I tried for the longest time, so many different means and methods of marketing this idea, of upgrading the product behind this idea and doing all these things just to get this idea to blow up and it would never happen. And meanwhile... I'm seeing other businesses just come into a marketplace and instantly, a year, two years, three years, they blow up and be billion dollar businesses. And I would look at the history of some businesses and their trajectories. And within the first few years, they, you know, they were already multiple hundreds of billion, billions of dollars in, in worth and things like that. And so I also began to notice like a, a divide that I didn't really understand. Okay, so while I'm trying to go online and follow what all these internet marketers are saying, promote, 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 publish, 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 you know, work with everybody, get the you know idea behind your business out there. I noticed that the businesses that made it big, the different, you know, the behemoth businesses, the unicorns as they call them, um, wouldn't do any of that, you know. Whereas we were playing this game in internet marketing of building all the right funnels and finding all the right people to promote and putting the right traffic into it and publishing it. And, and being real heavy on marketing, there was this other class of businesses out there that were doing things entirely separately. So I'm running like a ghostwriting business, and it's not really going anywhere. A customer here, customer there, and um, I'm looking at not only just the business that I was trying to run, but the businesses within my marketplace, uh, within my you know within my timelines rather you know, in my feeds on Facebook and Instagram and these different businesses like, um, you know, uh, you know, businesses selling courses, which all the businesses were kind of like 
all the same stuff, but selling courses, offshoot social media sites, um, you know, what else, uh, mm, what else would they do, you know, social media marketing agencies, and um, I would look at these businesses, and they would all be capped off, and they would all be doing things the way I was doing them, but they would all be suffering, in a, in a sense, the same fate that I was suffering, you know, not a lot of traction, they would get to a certain magnitude and cap off, but a lot of these businesses, I noticed, never reached a billion dollars, or didn't even have the potential to be a billion dollar business. And meanwhile, while I'm observing these businesses, I'm looking over and seeing these unicorns, these billion dollar businesses that aren't doing the marketing, they aren't doing the online thing that, you know, anyone has ever heard or seen an advertising for in their billion dollar businesses. And I'm, I'm looking over and I'm realizing they're not following the same script. They're, they're doing it like they're following an entirely separate process and reaping an entirely different magnitude of results. Okay. So I will look over and see a, a business like let's see Palantir you know which is um Peter Thiel's business Peter Thiel is one of the creators of PayPal alongside Elon Musk and Peter Thiel's business Palantir I believe is worth like 20 billion or something like that couple couple billion and uh his business you know I I've, I haven't seen any commercials for it I don't see any ads for it I go to the website it's just a regular website it's not really a funnel or anything like that you know, other businesses like businesses like Tesla, businesses, you know, Tesla's were one of the most valuable companies in the world at like 600 billion uh, net worth now. And Tesla wasn't running any ads and they didn't have any funnels or, you know, it wasn't selling things the same way we were selling them. There was something different about it. Uh, even businesses like Nikola, the trucking company, you, I didn't really see much press or buzz about it. It was just a very valuable business. Businesses like uh, Grammarly. You know, the big, like, you know, there seems like a separate league between internet marketers and the way they grew businesses in these billion dollar behemoths. There seems like it could be a separate class. And these billion dollar behemoths would pop up and blow up very quickly and, and be worth tons and tons very quickly and make a huge impact and be at the top of the game instantly. Whereas, the, you know, this other league of businesses that were in the internet marketing realm kind of just never did that. You know, unless they followed a very particular, you know, process, which the only company I can think of that followed a very particular process was was ClickFunnels. And I'll explain a little bit about that because ClickFunnels is not really using the methods of Internet marketing or Internet marketers. They're using a hybrid between the two leagues. But I started to notice, you know, this difference and I want it to be at the top of the game. I want it to be the one, you know, I wanted to have a magnitude of business like a Walmart or something like that, you know, that was the business and it, you know, everybody knew about it and, you know, it really changed the world and changed people's lives just via its, its sheer magnitude. And so I started to go and research and look up like, how is it that businesses become this way? What is this different and separate process that they're using? And in that pursuit, you know, I stumbled upon this book called Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Okay, in this book, Zero to One by Peter Thiel, um, it really talks about how unicorns are made. Okay, and one of the main differences that was broken down in the book, I remember just listening to a book, to the book, and he described something. It was this chapter where he said, the world follows something called a power law. Okay, and... I remember this distinctly because I was jogging up the stairs in my apartment at the time. It was the middle of the summer. Uh, you know, I used to still do like wind sprints up, on, up and down the stairs. And he said, a power law essentially means that everything, you know, all uh, that falls under this law, which is everything in reality, 
uh, a minority of those things will reap a majority or will, will reap rather it will reap disproportionate results. A small minority of everything will reap a disproportionate amount of results. And so example of that is like a small minority of people reap a disproportionate amount of results. Like the top 0.1% of basketball players are better than every other basketball player in the world combined. The top, you know, like 10, you know, wealthiest people are wealthier than the bottom 50% combined. A small minority of people will reap a disproportionate amount of results. And so the book was essentially about this power law. And he, and I remember in the book he was talking about like, think about anything in life, even the, you know, natural legs of life. Like, you know, he was describing a pea garden. A minority of pea shoots in the garden will uh, deliver to the to the to the farmer or, or whoever's garden it is a majority of the peas. You know, very few people are very tall. You know, very few people are also very short. Um, very few people reap disproportionate results very few things like the top earthquakes uh are more powerful than all the lower ones combined and things like that and so he said he what he was breaking down in this book was, was it's the same for business and so he was defining in essence when i was listening the difference between these two leagues you know the league of people who hit that cap and maybe they make a hundred million and they won a few two comic club awards but they're not walmart you know they're not extraordinary they're not special they're not different and these people over here who are, you know, behemoths, like they, they are unicorns and they're Teslas and they're one of a kind. Um, he was saying that even business follows a power law and um, the top 1% or the top 0.1% of businesses are created that way because they follow a different set of rules, okay? With the top 1%, of, you, know, what, you know, essentially everything in the world is what the power law describes, you know, that we live in a world of monopolies, so the top percentage of everything, you know, top one percentile of, of any industry or any walk of life has a monopoly in some way. Like all like the rich people have a monopoly of all wealth or, or, or Google has a monopoly over its category of search. Apple has a monopoly over its category of technology like they own most of the market share. You know, most of the results go to one person or one one faction is, is essentially what that's what that saying. And so if you look at business, it's it's the same way. And you can see this happening with companies like Tesla. Tesla's worth six hundred billion. Uh the next competitor is worth like, you know, in terms of electric electric cars, like probably like twenty billion or something like that. Uh don't quote me on that one. Even the next competitor in terms of cars in general is worth making making far more revenue than Tesla, but only worth a third, which is Toyota. Toyota's Toyota's worth two hundred billion. Tesla's worth six hundred billion. Toyota has four times the revenue that Tesla does. But, you know, as time goes on, because, you know, it, it, it is a world of monopolies, Toyota will begin to shrink considerably in terms, of, in terms of worth. And Tesla will keep going on and on and on and on until Toyota fades from existence. And so Tesla will be the one person in that market that has all the disproportionate, like that reaps uh, results disproportionately. It will have a monopoly over the auto market. Yeah, which it kind of does now. If your closest competitor is a third of your size, and that's the closest second, you you know you kind of blowing them out of the water. It's like saying you're three times better than every wrestler in the world if you're an Olympic wrestler or something like that. Three times better than the next best boxer in the world on the pound for pound list. Like think about how absurd that is, how insane that is. So in a way, it's a monopoly. But when a company has a monopoly over its market in that way, it's called a category king. 
And so the difference he was explaining in his book, I remember it so vividly. He was saying the difference between the little leagues and, and the big leagues is that the big people in the big leagues create monopolies by becoming category kings. And their tactics and the methods they use are designed to become a king of a new strategy. And they do so of a new category or a new marketplace. And they do so by this is the difference right here whereas people in the internet marketing league they model they like to model a lot of things like they strictly follow you know the exact formula that that, that another company you know uh, is using to thrive in order to get results immediately uh whereas they join you know model and join old markets the unicorns what they do is they create entirely new markets and because they create entirely new markets by default since they're the only one in that market or the first one in that market, at least their market share, like they have monopoly over that market from the very beginning. Whereas you join an old market, like let's say ghostwriting, there's already companies in ghostwriting and there's already a category king of ghostwriting that's reaping disproportionate results. You know, if I join that market, you know, my share of that market is like, well, you know, 1%, you know, if and it can grow over time, obviously, but it, you know, it'll cap off to a certain extent. But if I created an entirely new market like voice writing, which is where we're actually moving, I own that market 100% because I made that market. And if that is a viable market, you know, I have a, a huge uh, jump start out the gate. Uh, and the reason for that is because when people form icons in their minds, you know, for, for you know, form, you know, icons in their minds that are representative of categories like, you know, uh, you think of a luxury car, what's represented in that category is the Lamborghini. It's hard to unwire those things. Like the first thing, like I don't know what the, the cognitive bias for this is called, but the first thing that maybe it's the maybe it's the uh, the recency bias. I don't I don't really know. But the the first example that you have of something is often the most pungent and often the most last long lasting. That's why people who are Apple stands, they grew up on Apple. You know, ever hear somebody say that that's just the way I was raised? It's hard to unwire the things that were your first impressions. And so once you have a new category, you created a new a new marketplace, you know, once people begin to know you for that marketplace and you become synonymous with that marketplace, you monopolize the idea representative of that marketplace, then it's hard for people to backtrack and decide on other things. You know, your best friend is usually your best friend for life. Not always, but you know, the person that you say your best friend and your first best friend, you remember them forever. You know, you remember them differently than other people. You know, maybe even for some people, your first love, you know, your first real love, your first real love. I seen a lot of my homies, you know, pursuing that person, even in their following relationships, because that was their first taste, their first example. And they have monopolized that category in their mind of love. They're representative of literal love to this person, you know, the football team you love, the athletes you love. Sorry, getting something out of my. Well, I'm, I'm uh, clipping my fingernail, but anyhow, um, with the difference between the big league and the in the in the small league, what you know what was being explained was that one league has techniques and strategies, you know that that create cat you know aim to create categories, and one just goes after sales and revenue, and you know out the gate instantaneously. And you can see historically the difference between the you know the you know uh, the two the two leagues, and you can also see historically, you know uh, what 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 that misconception 
brings people in. What misconception I'm referring to is the misconception that sales and revenue and getting money fast and getting the company out of the gate fast is what matters when it really is something that it's not what matters at all. So what do I mean by that? Um, What I mean by that is like um, a lot of people think sales and revenue is equivalent to a valuable company. But, you know, sales and revenue has nothing to do with the value of a company. Well, it has a lot to do with the value of a company, but it, it is not the only thing. Whereas the little league, you know, the Internet marketing game is based in the now. We want sales and revenue in a company that's making money and looking good right now. Um, that, that, that idea, that paradigm, that school of thought is different for the bigger league. And uh, it's different for the world at large. You know, whereas most people think sales, revenue, things like that is where where a company becomes valuable. The world, you know, thinks differently. And so you can look at examples of this, like, like I said, Tesla and, uh, and, and Toyota. Tesla's worth $600 billion right now. Let's look up the revenue of Tesla. Revenue of Tesla. Tesla's revenue is at $20 billion. Okay, but it's worth six hundred billion. The number two car company, Toyota. That can't be right. Toyota revenue is at uh. Come on now, give me a real number. Toyota's revenue is nearly at three hundred billion. Okay, so in a, in essence, in a nutshell, Toyota's revenue is about ten times that of Tesla. So you would think, okay, they have more sales, they have more revenue, shouldn't they be the more valuable company? But uh, lo and behold, Tesla's three times more valuable. I think the most company with the most revenue on the planet is Walmart. Uh, But I've seen a recent chart. I don't think Walmart is in the top 10 valuable companies at all. And so what might be the reason for that? Okay. So, you know, it's the idea that if we can create marketing and sales and and, and then begin to make revenue out of the gate, you know, we'll become a number one company and be at the most valuable and be at the top of our game and the most recognized. But uh, fact of the matter is, as we see evidence right here, that isn't true. You know, in fact, if we want to, you know, reference Nicola again, Nicola has zero revenue. It has no revenue at all. You know, it's an electric trunking company. And yet the company, I believe, last I checked was worth... Let's check it right now. Twenty billion. Nicola worth. Let's see. What is the company worth? Yeah, Nicola Motors is worth twenty-three billion despite zero sales or revenue. This is an article from Business Insider on June sixteenth, twenty twenty. Um cut, cut company's worth twenty billion and it has zero in revenue. And so you can see right there, like when you think sales, you know, the little things, sales and reg- revenue are the things that well that'll break you through. Well, that's not just, that's just, that's just actually not true. And so you look at these unicorns and these businesses and what they're what they're what they're doing, what they're banking on. And I, I remember listening. I listened to this. This is a continuation of the book Zero to One. He says what they're banking on is future revenue. This, in essence, the valuation of a company is on is based on, you know, the valuation of its category. How much of the category that this company is in can it capture? That's what market share is, I think, at least. 
okay, in, in, in market share, you know, how much can you possess of the category is just a prediction of how much the valuation of a company, in essence, is how much can this company make in the future? How much can this company make as time goes on? Okay. And so, whereas people are banking on sales and revenue right now, they want cash in this business, cash right now. Companies are more highly valued when they have, even if they're not making sales and revenue right now, a pr- projections of great sales and revenues as time goes on, which a lot of times, you know, revolves around sacrificing revenue and sales in the present. It's a much longer, like people are thinking right now in the present, in the little leagues, but in the big leagues with the unicorns, they're thinking much further out. Big, big future projections in a lot of the companies like PayPal, Tesla, LinkedIn, because of that, Twitter aren't profitable even for like the first decade because it's an entirely different school of thought. I, I might not be explaining this the most clearly and I understand that, but I just want to explain like these are these are two separate classes of of companies. And um, after reading the book Zero to One and having this explained to me, you know, I, I, I searched for a long time to kind of define what it is that's being said. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, the difference between was between one side focusing on the marketing, whereas the other side was focusing on bringing a really good, innovative product. Um, but, um, you know. I don't think that clear, you know, I said, I made an episode about that Steve Jobs' obsession with products and that's why big companies become big, but I don't think that really explains the idea that I'm trying to bring here in, in its full clarity. You know, marketers, they focus on products too, okay, and so um, let me let me gather my thoughts a little bit. So, after reading the book Zero to One, to One, you can just listen to the past episodes. I tried over and over and over to to explain exactly what's 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 going on because you know one side, the bigger league, is what this podcast is all about. It's about design, okay. And so, in describing what this this process that the bigger leagues focus on is describing design whereas whereas the smaller league that's entrepreneurship and marketing things like that and i went on in that podcast about steve jobs to say that you know the these bigger companies and these designers which is true but only in part you know the difference between them and, and the smaller companies the small businesses they call them is that designers uh you know they're closer to inventors than entrepreneurs Whereas entrepreneurs call about care about marketing and sale right here, right now, money right here, right now. Inventors care about bringing something new to the world. I mean, but it goes farther than that because these big companies are a combination between a new product, a new market, and a new idea. You know, in, in, in unison. Um, yeah, this is this is. I'm kind of willing myself back into the gray zone that I was in you know just like I'm having trouble describing the difference right now I was having the trouble describing that difference and I went on and on and on and searched for so many different resources um what is the difference between these two companies uh small businesses and startups which those terms are interchangeable a small business a company that becomes a small business can have started as a startup but 
you understand what I'm saying. A company that becomes a unicorn. Uh, these these tech companies that are out in Silicon Valley and, and these other companies that are just small businesses. And, you know, it, it, the difference was lost upon me until I watched this video by Slide Bean Startup 101, Startups 101. And he kind of broke it down in the, you know, the words that I was trying to use. And the idea that I'm trying to present in this podcast and I've been trying to present for the last few months is that whereas entrepreneurs and marketers focus on building small businesses you know that are replications often of other businesses the difference between an entrepreneur and, and, and someone who's building a small business is that designers focus on like like these businesses do the creation of something new uh you know um with this greatest with the greatest advantage and application of this new thing being off way off into the future you know, it's a future idea. It's a future design. It's 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 not a product. It's an innovation. It's a creation. Whereas entrepreneurs might focus on a business, a small business, something that creates sales. The class of entrepreneurs, because they are entrepreneurs, known as designers, create startups. Okay, now it's a little hard to define a startup because, like, a startup is you know, all these businesses are startups at one point. But like Silicon Valley startups, uh, you know, they don't have a, a, like they're, ju- they're they're small businesses at some point. Also, they don't have a, a set finite a finite set of rules that they can follow. But um, I'm going to read you some of the, the qualities of these these unicorns that I read from um, uh, the book Zero to One, because, you know, the qualities can better help us define what type of companies designers should be building. Um, you know, even if we can't have like pin it down to a singular definition. So if I can read back, it's been a while. Before. I'm looking through my notes. Um, if I can read back, here are some of the notes from the book. Mm. I'm trying. It, it was it was it was four little points that he had given out in the book. So I'm just trying to find them. I'm just trying to find them. I'm just reading. Come on. I might be able to look it up on Google. Because I don't think I see it in... In... um, in my notes okay well i'm gonna go to oh no here it goes here it goes here it goes here it goes cool 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 cool. so the four things that uh that uh if it's either for even four that um a company has is um that these big unicorn companies has that a company made by design has is it has proprietary technology. See, it's like future based. It's something that hasn't existed in the world yet. I mean, in the book, he called this a uh, vertical. Um, I don't even remember the word. Oh, crap. Vertical progress, I believe. Vertical progress or something like that versus horizontal progress. Horizontal progress is globalization, like which is modeling. I see a business over here. I want to put it in a niche in a location where it hasn't been done yet. Whereas vertical progress is like making something that simply hasn't been done yet. So an example of horizontal progress is like, okay, I see a restaurant here and they sell this type of food. 
uh, I'm going to put this restaurant in a neighborhood or a country where it hasn't been put placed yet. Okay. Okay. I see this ghostwriting business over here. I'm going to make a ghostwriting business. That's, that's what the small businesses do and entrepreneurs do. Uh, whereas vertical progress is like, I see this restaurant here. I'm going to make the next iteration of that. You know, something has never been existed. It's like, it's like, like horizontal was like, okay, I see this blockbuster. I'm going to start selling VHS tapes where vertical progress is like, I'm going to start streaming. I'm going to make Netflix. Okay. So, you know, it's about vertical progress. That's, that's what design is about. It's about proprietary technology. So here's a little rundown of what that means. It has to be 10 times better than its closest substitute. If an idea is new, it's basically infinitely times better. Uh, that, that, you know, that's just a little, um, these are just my notes from reading. Um, or you can make 10 times improvement through superior integrated design. And so essentially proprietary technology is technology that's, that's new, that no one has. And it's, it's 10 times, at least 10 times better than its closest competitor. Okay, like, uh, you know, Blockbuster Netflix. Um, it has to be something that's brand new. The second thing is network effect. Um, network effect is uh, essentially... You know, a, a, a business that builds and gets now. I think the it's it's essentially when you know the more users interact with your piece of technology or your thing, the bigger it becomes. So if you you know, or the more powerful it becomes, like the more people who like PayPal if it has one user, it's not very useful. If it has two users, it's not very useful. But the more people use PayPal, the more integrated it becomes in society and the more people can transfer money. Like, if your friends didn't have Cash App, you wouldn't be able to use it, even if strangers also had it. So the more of your friends use Cash App, the more utility it has. Okay, and so it has this network effect that the more people come on board, the greater it greater it becomes. Um, and uh, I, I believe the next one is economies of scale. Yeah, I believe the next one is economies of scale, which means that, you know, as your company gets bigger, um, the price, you know, the cost to run the business don't go up. Okay. And so in essence, let me, let me, let me give you, you know, an idea of what this means. So I was running a ghostwriting business. Okay. And if I wanted to make that business bigger, what would I have to do? I would have to hire more writers, right? And so if I hire more writers, the cost to run that business, because I have to pay each writer, the more I hire, goes higher and higher and higher, right? So if I had a, a, a software business, though, you know, I could sell as many customers as I want, right? You know, without really increasing anything. I don't, unless it's support, I guess, but I can make the technology like Facebook include billions of users and have just this team of software engineers that I had in the very beginning. And I won't have to pay any more to run that business. And so that's why you look at the top businesses in the world and they're like, um, they are like products rather than services. Okay. And the last one is just a superior brand design, which is everybody knows is a superior brand design. So those are the four things, you know, it has to be future based with proprietary technology. And I think that's one of the things that I harped on the most that I think a lot of people forget but it has to have, this is according to Peter Thiel, by the way, network effect, economies of scale, and a very great brand as well. But I think uh, a lot of people get the tipping point where they have proprietary technology and, uh, you know, uh, a, a category that they can monopolize that is that is associated with that technology as well. And so 
that kind of kind of goes to you know define what it is that that people are calling a startup versus what they call a small business. And so I think in the world, you know, uh, the, we'll, we'll prove the difference. You know, what what design is because design is I believe the only form of entrepreneurship that is actually helpful and actually pushes the world forward. Um, is just the focus on the future and a push for the future and the things that haven't already been created um, and a push for ideas that are futuristic that correspond with these pieces of technology or these 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 businesses or whatever you want to call it and and that's what design is all about whereas whereas business is empathy with you know for the purpose of a sale or small business you know design is empathy and with the purpose of the future you know for the purpose of the future um among other things and um yeah i just thought that was some pretty fascinating information i know i had something else to say that you know say about that but it's kind of past it's kind of skipping my mind now well if it comes back to me obviously i'll jump back and record but I think that might be it for this episode. So I appreciate everybody for listening. This is Dallas and welcome back to the Grand Design Podcast. Uh, welcome back. Thank you for listening to me on the Grand Design Podcast. Um, I don't really have much else to say. Peace out. Terrible news. A bunch of crazy socialists just decided they didn't like your opinions or your ways of life that much. You have 30 days to build a counter movement of supporters before they cancel your business and your livelihood crashes and burns. How is it given 30 days we create a counter social movement around your business, turning your customers into true fans in the process and rally enough support to survive the cancel? Interesting question, right? That's the exact question I asked 30 insane entrepreneurs who've actually done it before. That's right. I gathered some of the top minds in business some with millions of followers behind their social movements and recorded their answers for the world to hear on a free live summit I'm hosting. Interested in hearing their answers? Well, you can register for the free summit, the Surviving the Cancel Summit at survivingthecancel.com. Wait, so why are you still here? Aren't you interested in how some of the sharpest minds to ever exist in business are actively creating social movements around their business? that shape the literal culture, the literal world that we see around us visually every single day. Like this summit is going to be absolutely insane. These business moguls, whatever you want to call them, are going to step by step outline exactly how in 30 days they will unlock the hidden social movement within their business to one, destroy cancel culture, and to two, affect their customers and clients on such a deep level that they become evangelists for their message. It is going to be insane stuff and you do not want to miss this one. So again, the summit is at www.survivingthecancel.com. So come and finally learn the difference between being a marketer, someone who can create sales and being something else, someone who actually can make an impact in this world.